Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who announces peace, and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, Your God reigns. And that message from Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7 declares the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. And today we're in Acts chapter 13, looking at verses 13 to 32. And Jason has entitled this sermon, Too Good to Be True. Let's join Jason now. Well, good morning, everyone. And welcome once again to Rancho Baptist Church. I am Pastor Jason, the senior pastor here. And I have two other announcements. For those of you who have not been attending RBC for that long, and I don't even know that I'll qualify it, let's just say that you've never come to a newcomer's lunch, but you have only been attending RBC for, say, the last nine months, or something like that. (laughs) We are having a newcomer's lunch in two weeks on September 8th. So we would welcome all of you who are interested in just getting to know all of us pastors, getting to know the elders better. So please come and join us on that Sunday in two weeks, September 8th, after the third service. We are also having a town hall this evening at 6 p.m. And we would encourage you all to come to that as well. We will be discussing where we're going with, with children's ministry and where we have landed since Pastor Nathan has moved back to North Carolina. So praise the Lord for the opportunity to gather again this evening, and now for the opportunity to open His Word. Please turn with me to to Acts chapter 13. And this morning we are going to finish, actually, chapter 13. And what we will be looking at is the first sermon of the Apostle Paul, at least the first sermon recorded in Scripture. And as you turn there, I I want to frame where we're going this morning with a question that most likely I would think all of us can relate to. And that question is, have you ever been put on the spot before? Yeah, most likely lots of times. At some point or another, someone is going to ask you or require you to step forward and to do something that you actually weren't prepared for, that is indeed out of your comfort, that you're not thinking you could even do possibly, and yet you're, you're called upon to do that particular task. And, and for me, when I, when I think, oh, when I thought about this initially, I, I thought about actually the first Thanksgiving celebration that we had as a family where I was called upon to carve the turkey. Now, for many of you, that may not seem like a great big deal, but for me, I was scared about this for year after year, so thankful that somebody else was was jumping in and carving the turkey because I, I really had no idea exactly the way you're supposed to cut that thing. And, and then I had this this nightmare vision that when I did it, it would just be, it would all fall apart and there'd be little pieces and I'd just be throwing it to people and everybody would be like, let's get a new turkey. You completely butchered this thing. And so for me, it was a whole lot of pressure. And I don't know what it was for you, when you think of when you were put on the spot, maybe it was the, the, 
The first time in a family gathering where, where somebody asked you to pray out loud. Perhaps it was where you were at school and somebody asked you a difficult question. I remember when I was in community college and taking a philosophy class. I had been pretty forthright in sharing my faith in that class. And at some point, one of the, the days that we were meeting, the philosophy teacher asked me point blank. He said, Jason, I, I, on behalf of all, all the students here, can you please give us the, the basic belief about Christianity? And I thought, oh great, this is a wonderful opportunity. And so I, I shared with, with him and the whole class that, that Christianity is based upon Jesus Christ, who was indeed God, who came and lived a perfect life, who then died upon the cross, not for his sins, because he was perfect and he had no sins, but for the sins of those that would believe in him. And then I finished and, 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 and my teacher, not so graciously, said, you know, that, that sounds a little too good to be true. And that's not something that really can be substantiated, right? And then he goes on and he says, well, you want to know what I believe? And he says, I believe in the, in the big bunny of Alondra Park. And it just so happened that right behind the community college where, where we were taking our classes was Alondra Park. And he said, I believe that there is a bunny at Alondra Park, a great big huge bunny, that, that if you really believe is there and you go and you search for him, that you will find this bunny. And this bunny will give you a, a, a great big golden egg. And that great big golden egg will be the answer to your problems. And, th- and then he went and, and tied that in to, to what I had shared about Christ, basically just demolishing my faith. And saying, you know what, both of these are just made up systems by, by men. And, and, and of course, that, that was discouraging. And yet, it was an opportunity that the Lord had given me. And, I, and I'm thankful that, that I was able to, to stand up for the Lord on, on that account. This morning, we're going to see something very similar. What, what we are going to see is that Paul and Barnabas are put on the spot. They are given an opportunity to share Christ with an entire synagogue full of Jews and and Gentiles that are known as proselytes, those that are following the Jewish faith. So turn with me to, to Acts chapter 13. And in a sermon that, that I've entitled, Too Good to Be True, because that is what Paul is going to do. He is going to focus their attention upon the Lord Jesus Christ, upon the Gospel. And what he's going to do is with those that are listening, he's going to leave them with a choice of what to do with something Namely, this good news about Jesus Christ, this message about Jesus Christ that can appear to be too good to be true. And yet what we will find is that it is indeed too good to be true. And that is what makes grace so incredibly rewarding to you and to me. So we are going to conquer the last remaining verses in the Book of Acts chapter 13, 13 to 52. So, so follow along with me as I read out loud. I don't believe we can separate the, the first beginning section here from 13 to, to 43 from the last remaining section. Why? Because both are in the same context of this particular synagogue. It's almost like there's Act 1 and Act 2. And I didn't want to separate them this morning because it gives a true picture of 
of what happens when the gospel is proclaimed. Verse 13, Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. For a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. After he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. From the descendants of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, after John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And while John was completing his course, he kept saying, when do you suppose, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family and those among you who fear God to us, the message of this salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. When they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second Psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the whole the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through Him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through Him everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Therefore take heed, so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Behold, you scoffers, and marvel and perish, a work 
which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them were urging them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as had been appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews inside of the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You so much this morning for Your Gospel, for the message of the Word, for the message concerning Jesus Christ. And we pray this morning that You would allow us to fall in love more with Your Gospel this morning to be more thankful for Your Gospel, to see it more clearly, that we too might be filled with joy to overflowing, continual joy because of what You have accomplished for us through the work of Your Son. So guide our time now in Your Word and allow Your Holy Spirit to be our guide, to be our teacher this morning. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So again, as I said earlier, this then is really for all intents and purposes the first recorded sermon of the Apostle Paul. But as it only took me about three minutes to read, no doubt this is just a summary of this particular sermon that he gave. Most likely he would have been teaching for much longer than than even 40, 45 minutes probably an hour, maybe several hours, that he was proclaiming this message. And what we are going to see today is is the focus is placed entirely upon the Gospel from beginning to end, from verse 13 all the way through to 52. What Paul is trying to do is he is trying to shape, frame the Gospel for these that are listening to him. And that is what we will see today. First, we will see the mission for the Gospel. The mission that they are on, it's not on behalf of the church that they were sent out by. It is for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to look at this a different way, you could look at this as the where. Where did they go next? From this island of Cyprus, where did the Lord then lead them? Then we are going to see 
in verses 16 to 41, the message of the gospel. This could be construed as the what? What exactly did they preach as the gospel? What did Paul preach as the gospel here? And then finally, we're going to see that the mixed reaction to the gospel in verses 42 to 50 to 52. As there are two different reactions to the gospel presented for us. And we will see that. This could be understood as the how. How did they respond to the gospel? And what we are going to see that in their different reactions, their mixed reaction to the gospel, that some look at the gospel as something too good to be true and actually believe it to be too good to be true. Others look at the gospel and the Jews, and they're going to say, oh no, this, this indeed could not be true. There is no way that the Messiah would come like this. And as a result, they miss it. But let's look first at where everything starts, the mission for the gospel. And we see this in verses 13 to 15. As Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos, and came to Perga and Pamphylia. Remember that that is where we left off last week. That Paul and his missionary team had gone to the, the island of Cyprus and they proclaimed the gospel from town to town throughout the entire island coming to Paphos where we saw the proconsul, the governor, trust in Christ. And then from there they, they jump in a boat and they, and they travel from Pathos to what is known as Perga. Some hundred miles away. Some commentators say 200 miles away. That's how long of a trip this was. And as they land in Perga, they, they don't just land and stop right in Perga. Perga is not right on the coast. It's five miles. And what we are, what we see right away in the, that, this mission for the gospel is first that the leadership structure has changed a little bit. Instead of Barnabas being named first as the leader, we see the Apostle Paul being named first. And then we see that there's a, a little bit of, of trial and tribulation and trouble that comes upon this missionary team. Very early on in this missionary endeavor, remember, they've only gone to one, to really one island. And now as they finish up that work and they, and they land at, at Perga here and, and, and they stop, we have to understand that a difficulty arises. As, as we see in the, the last part of verse 13, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. This is John Mark. We have to understand that this is someone who is tight with Barnabas. This is part of his family. And no doubt that Paul loved and appreciated him at this point. Why? Because they had already served the Lord together throughout the island of Cyprus. And now, now John Mark says, okay, I've had enough. I'm going back. I'm going back home. And, and yet it, it doesn't tell us why. If you were to look at commentators, you would see all sorts of different possibilities as to why young John Mark bailed on them. Some would say, oh, it was because he was tired. It had been a long journey and he got tired and decided to go back to Jerusalem. Others would say, 
No, really what, what the problem was, was he was homesick. He wanted to go back home. He now missed his family. He wanted to go back with them. Others would say, oh no, he was thinking forward to this crazy journey they were going to be taking up to Pisidian Antioch. And he knew that that was a, a journey that went up a great big mountain trail. And so many hours, days of hiking laid a, ahead of them that he said, oh no, I, that, that's too much of a cost. Others would say, oh no, maybe it was because he was upset that Barnabas, his family, was no longer the lead in their missionary endeavor. And yet the reality is, nothing is told exactly what was the reason why he left. And what I would like us to consider this morning isn't so much the reason why he left, but the impact of his leaving. And what that impact would have upon this missionary team. Why? Because when someone leaves, it's disheartening. It's discouraging. You know what you start thinking about? And I saw this on the mission field. You start thinking about, man, it would be nice to head back home and have an in and out. You know what? These grub worms and, and this fruit, this fruit is wonderful, but man, I'd like a double double or, or what have you. And no doubt that has to be what's going on in their minds. That they recognize, man, this is hard and now we've lost one of us. And adding to this is, is the fact that, that they decide, okay, you know what? That this is hard. But we're going to continue on. But I believe that there was a little bit of a rift starting right here with, between them. Why? Because the word that, that is used for that he left them can be translated betrayed or abandoned them. And when the Apostle Paul looks back on this in Acts chapter 15 that we're going to see soon, he says he deliberately abandoned us. And in his mind, there was no question. He was culpable. This was not a good decision. And as such, he doesn't want him going along with them on their next journey. And Barnabas says, no, I want him coming. And so they split. Praise the Lord. Things get worked out by the time we get to Colossians 4, 2 Timothy 4. He's now asking for John Mark to come with them. But we see this doesn't keep them from moving on. After this, after they, they go from Cyprus and they, they go to Perga, Atalia is the, the place where they would have landed, but it says that they continued on to Perga. And look at how far that journey is from Perga to Antioch. Again, this isn't the Antioch that we saw last week. That Antioch is in Syria. This Antioch is in Asia Minor. And the reason why they call it Pisidian Antioch is because that's the location of where it, where it was located. But you need to think in terms of Antioch being Galatia. Because that is where they are going. They are going to the place where the epistle to the Galatians was written for. For these guys. And this was a, a, a journey. This journey was hard, not just because it was mountainous, but because there were evil, wicked men that that laid weight on this journey, just waiting to come and and to rob from people and beat them up. But there's something else that reveals to us the difficulty that comes right upon them so early on in their missionary journey. It wasn't just that there was interpersonal relationships that that were a problem, that they were rubbing with each other like that. No, we know from Galatians chapter 4, verses 13 to 15, that the Apostle Paul, he says this 
about the reason why he preaches to them in Galatia. He says this, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And what many believe is they believe that as, as he was traveling from the island to the mainland and then going from the mainland to Perga, that this was a malaria-stricken area and that he most likely contracted malaria. And so he was really sick. And perhaps the reason why he chooses to go all the way up to Pisidian Antioch is to get away from the malaria zone. And having dealt with malaria, I get it. And so possibly that is the reason. But for for you and me, this should be an encouragement to us. Why? Because he doesn't allow that to completely sideline him. He still keeps pushing forward, even with sickness, even with problems within their group. And do you know, as I look back on our time as missionaries, do you know what the top two reasons are for missionaries leaving the field, at least in a tribal church planting work like we were doing? You may think, oh, I would bet, Pastor Jason, that finances are probably pretty high up there. A lack of support. Nope. Okay, how about, oh, an inability to get the language. Oh, I'm sure that's the reason why so many leave. Nope. Health, because they get sick. And number two, problems with their coworkers. Now, when they write newsletters back home and prayer letters to missionaries, they spice it up, make it sound real nice. But the reality is there's a rub that gets to be rubbed so hard that they finally decide, you know what? This isn't worth it anymore. Either you stay or I stay. But we can't keep doing this together like this. And and, and as I, I think of us this morning, and I ask you, hey, what are some of the problems that, that you're facing? And I ask you, how many of you are facing something to do with your health? No doubt, if it wasn't you, it was one of your family members, almost all the hands would go up. It's no different here than on the mission field. Or if I asked you, is there someone that you're actually having a hard time getting along with? No doubt in in, in that time too, most of the hands would go up. Why? Because it's no different here. And yet in this, we know that the Lord allows us to go through these trials, through these hard times, in order to produce some very good things in us. That's what the book of James teaches us, that it produces patience, endurance, ultimately to grow us up in Christ so that we're lacking nothing. And so we should be seeking the Lord and asking him to help us when we run into problems such as the problems that that Paul faced along with his missionary team here. Because they keep going. Even though they run into difficulties, they keep going. Why? Because they recognize that the message of the gospel is too good to be true. And it's something that they don't want to keep to themselves. And they recognize that the Lord is guiding and leading them and that He goes before them. And so then what happens next? They make it all the way to to this other Antioch. There's over 16 different Antiochs during this time. And again, this is the Antioch that we should consider as Galatia. So they show up there and what do they do? They go to the synagogue and they sit down and the synagogue has an order just like we do in our services. The the first thing that they do is they have kind of a public reading called the Shema. And they would say something like, the Lord is one Lord. 
And they'd say this together. Then they'd go on to a, a prayer time. And then they'd go on to a, a time in the, in the Old Testament, usually the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. And they'd read one of the scrolls from that. Then they'd get one of the prophets and they'd read that. And then they'd stop. And then they'd ask somebody that was known to be a Pharisee, a good teacher of the Word. And he would stand up and he would then give a sermon. And in this case, they stop after they get to this point where it's now time for somebody to preach a sermon. And they say, hey, Paul and Barnabas, do one of you have a word for us? Do one of you want to want to take out the scriptures and explain to us the scriptures and preach to us? Now, we don't know why. They know that Paul is a Pharisee. It could be that he's wearing something that designates him as a Pharisee. Perhaps he was so well known that everybody knew about him. Having studied under Gamaliel, he could have been famous in, in, as far as Pharisees go. But in any case, instead of Barnabas standing up, Paul stands up. As he declares what the, the message of the gospel The message that they have been entrusted to declare, to share with others. And then notice as he he stands up and he tells them all to listen to him. And then what does he do? He he starts with something that they're familiar with. And, And I have to ask us the same question. How would you have responded if you were given this opportunity? You know, he could have said no. He could have deferred. He could have said, you know what? Hey, this has been a long journey. And do you know, I just had malaria. And I, and I'm not feeling really well. So yeah, choose somebody else. And well, Barnabas, he's, he's, he's tired too. Or he, he could have waffled a little bit and said, okay, yeah, I'll share on, hey, give me the scroll for Genesis 22. And, and, and I'll share on, on, I'll preach today on Abraham and Isaac. But no, what does he do? He goes right to Jesus Christ. But he does that by pointing them back to something that they had in common. This would be a good game plan for you and I. When somebody, when we are presented with this opportunity, don't think about the fact, oh, I haven't gone through seminary. Oh, I'm not trained in this. I don't even know what I would say. Just give them Jesus. Just point them to Him. And you can start by starting with something that you have in common. That's what he does. He goes to a history of Israel. And who does he start with? He starts with the patriarchs. He starts with Abraham. That's who he's meaning. And then he goes to Egypt. And who is he speaking of? He's he's meaning Moses. And then he goes to the wilderness. Again, Moses. Then the conquest of Canaan. No doubt pointing to Joshua. And then going to the time of the judges. and And then the last prophet, Samuel. And then from that point on to the monarchs. Starting with Saul and then going to David. But he doesn't even get further than David. And he just wants to go right to the whole person that he was thinking about the whole time when he was recapping the nation of Israel's history. Why? Because he wanted to show, okay, this man was important. This man was important. This man was important. This event was important. But nothing holds a candle to him, to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where he's going. And even in this, Paul places God right at the center stage of all that is happening. He's the main actor in all that is being developed and all that is being told. Look at verses 17 to 22. 
In seminary, they, they taught me, and this is good Bible interpretation. This is a good way to study the Word. You know what you do? You follow the verbs. You see what is happening with the verbs. And in this case, notice who the subject of each of these verbs is. What's he doing? He is highlighting God. Look at verse 17. The God of this people, Israel, chose. It, it was God's idea. He chose the fathers. He is the one that made the people great in Egypt. It was by His uplifted arm that He leads them out of Egypt. And then He keeps going on. He puts up with them in the wilderness. Isn't that strange? Isn't that God's grace? Doesn't that remind you of, of you and me? What does He do? He puts up with us. Why? Because we don't always get it right. We don't always do what, what we should do. And, and yet He's gracious. It's interesting that there's other manuscripts that have one vowel or, or one, one letter difference in the Hebrew. In this. And it, and it, or I'm sorry, in the Greek. And it, and it means instead of he put up with them, just with one letter variation, it means he cared for them. And could it be that it's, not, that it's both? That he no doubt was caring for them as he was putting up with them. And then it says what he had destroyed all these Seven nations. And then He distributed the land. He gave them judges. He gave them the king that they asked for. It was He that gave them Saul. It was He that removed Saul. And it was He that raised up David. And then interestingly enough, what does it say about David? Even though he was a murderer, even though he was an adulterer, it says that he was a man after my heart. That's what God says. That's not what I say. That's, that's what God says. Who will do all my will? How can such a man be considered a man after God's own heart? Because a man after God's own heart is not a perfect man. A man after God's own heart is a humble man. That, that's what we would see in the life of David if, if we were to take a, a break and go and study him. He is a humble man. He, he is a man who sees his sin as God sees his sin. And as a result, he turns and repents of it and goes back to the Lord and seeks his face. And that is the kind of man and woman that, that, that we should be. And then, as I said earlier, he should go right next now to, to John the Baptist, but instead he seems to get so excited about the correlation between David and Jesus that he just jumps right into Jesus. It's as if he just can't wait to get to the punchline. He can't wait to get to the one that he is going to declare to them. The one that whose message is too good to be true. And so he, he points to Jesus, but then goes back to John and says, yes, and what was John the Baptist all about? He, he was just like a big arrow pointing to the one that would follow him. The one whose path he was leading the way for. That he was pointing to Jesus. And then he goes on to show that Jesus is indeed the answer. He, he's now finished when we get to verses 26 to 37. He's finished with the history. And now he's all about Jesus. And do you know where he goes? He, he goes to the gospel. He goes to these crucial points that we should all include when we share the gospel. Look at verse 28 in what he says. And though they found no ground 
for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. What is he speaking of? He's speaking of the death of Christ, that he indeed was crucified. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul goes to the same exact place. In 15.3, he says that he died for, died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And then look at verse 29. When they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. What is that speaking of? That is speaking of his burial. That he was buried. Why is that significant? Well, it's significant because of what happens next and what he points to next. Not only was he crucified, not only did he die, not only was he buried, but but then look at verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. No doubt one of the most powerful passages in all of Scripture. Such a small little verse, but so powerfully does it present the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ that 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 should cause us to rejoice. Why? Because death did not conquer Him. God raised Him from the dead. And that is the other point that the Apostle Paul wants to get across. And at some point, yes, start with someone by bringing them in talking about something that they would have some sort of interest in. But at some point, you can't just keep talking about all those things. You have to come to Christ. You have to get to Jesus. And you have to give them Jesus. You have to give them the Gospel. That He came. That He lived a perfect life. That He died upon the cross. That He was buried and then was raised again. And why would He do this? Because He recognizes that this message of Jesus Christ is too good to be true. And then we come to the key verses in verses 38 and 39 where he presents what it means to be that the gospel is too good to be true. How is this gospel too good to be true? How is this message of Jesus Christ too good to be true? Well, it's too good to be true because it is not something that you can earn. Because it is not something that you can purchase, that you can buy. It is something given as a gift through faith and through faith alone. Look at verses 38 and 39. As Paul then goes ahead and gives a summary of what the gospel means and what it does. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins, through through Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. That, that word freed that's used there could be translated as justified. which no doubt is, is, is talking a, about the fact that, that God has deemed us, what? Justified, righteous in His sight. And it was this thought, the, the thought of justification by grace through faith alone, basically started the Reformation, right? This is what the Reformation was all about. Sola fide. Through faith alone. It's not anything that we can do. It's not through our works. Not through our our good outweighing our bad. Why? Because God is perfect and completely holy and righteous. 
And all that he will accept is perfection. And there is no way that we can live up to that righteous standard. But Jesus did it for us. And so what do we do? We accept his gift. By grace through faith. And then we see that the story it continues on. As he doesn't just leave it there with them. Recognizing that, that for those that were listening to him, and this includes the proselytes, because they were raised in this Jew, Jewish mindset that it's all about what you do. It's all living up to the law that makes you acceptable before God. That that is why you are acceptable. And what he wants to do is he wants to drive home this point that the law could never do what Jesus Christ did. No matter how much you try and you strive, that is not going to get it done. And so what does he do? He, He takes them then to verses 40 and 41 as he's giving them a warning. And he wants to give them the opportunity to choose, to recognize that, that yes, it is through faith in Jesus Christ alone that can save. And you need to choose right now. And he says, therefore, take heed so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Behold, you scoff, your scoffer, scoffers and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. These words are taken from Habakkuk 1.5. And, and what he's depicting is what's going to happen to the nation of Judah. They have rejected God's word time and time again. So what does God say? I'm going to send the Chaldeans. And they're going to wipe you out. Why? Because you are not responding to me. And so what, what he's saying, what Paul is saying is, don't be like them. Don't keep rejecting what the Lord is doing. This is the work of the Lord. What Jesus has done is the work of the Lord. So please respond to that. Turn towards the Lord today. That is what he's saying. And yet what happens is this. We see the mixed reaction to the gospel. Unfortunately, the, the reaction... The response to the gospel is mixed. Some see it as something too good to be true and others say, no, this could not be true. And we see this first in, in what seems to be so encouraging. As he finishes the gospel and, his, and as he finishes his time and look at verses 42 and 43, as Paul and Barnabas were going out, so they're all done. On this very first time in in the synagogue, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Man, they, man, they want more. They want to hear more of this God's grace, uh, of this justification through faith alone. They, they, they recognize, man, this is important. This possibly could be too good to be true. Wait, you mean we don't have to earn this? In fact, we can't earn this? That is exactly what Paul and Barnabas say. And so they ask to hear more. Not only that, they follow them out of the meeting place. They follow them out of the synagogue and they keep peppering them with more and more questions. And how does Paul respond? How does Barnabas respond? They urge them to continue in the grace of God. That seems to make sense to me that these guys were saved. How can you continue on in the grace of God if you are indeed not saved? He's telling them not to abandon the grace of God. 
which is oh so interesting because you know what happens to, to these believers at this place called Antioch, this church in Galatia. In, in, in roughly three years, the Apostle Paul is going to have to write them an, a letter. And he writes the epistle to the Galatians. And do you know what he's telling them? He tells them, please, 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 were you not saved by grace through faith? Was it not having to do anything with how you respond to the law? How obedient you were to the law? Why have you abandoned that and now you're strapping yourselves back under the law? Shackling yourselves to have to be obedient to it. And he's saying, no, you were saved by grace. Continue on in grace. And don't we do the same thing at times? Don't we forget all that the gospel has accomplished and we think that, oh no, there's no way that I am accepted right now with who I am. No, you are. You can't be accepted anymore. Why? Because of what Christ did, that you have been given His very righteousness. And so we see that with this, this mixed reaction, what what starts off so well, that seems so good, And so encouraging goes south the next week as they gather again. Look at verse 44. As a whole week goes by and they come back to the synagogue and this time it's a lot more than just the the little crowd that was in the synagogue the previous week. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled. Huge crowd. Why? Because they wanted to hear more about this. They hadn't heard this kind of truth before. What do you mean I don't have to earn it? What do you mean it's a free gift? But then we see what happens as the Jews, instead of looking at this as a blessing, as an open door for more and more to come to salvation, they look at this and they're filled with jealousy. And they begin to contradict whatever is being said about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I believe it says that they were blaspheming. They're not blaspheming Paul. Paul's not God. They're blaspheming the Lord Jesus Christ. And anything that Paul or Barnabas is communicating, they're saying, oh no, that's not true. He's not the Messiah. He's not God. He's not the Son of God. And as a result, they, we know what happens next. As Paul and Barnabas speak out boldly to them. And they say, okay, because of this, because of your rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are now going to do what? We are turning to the Gentiles. And he says, why? Because the Lord has commanded us to be His light, just as you and I are His lights today in this dark world. And then look at 48. Man, 48 is so sweet. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying The word of the Lord. No doubt rejoicing and glorifying in Jesus Christ and rejoicing and glorifying in the gospel that this was too good to be true. It is true. We have been ushered into His kingdom by grace through faith alone. And so what do they do? They rejoice. And yet in this too, notice what what Luke does. He he takes off his historian hat just for a minute and he he puts on a, a theologian's hat. And he gives us this little tidbit at the end, which which I believe is encouraging. As he says this, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. What is that? That is that, that when you see people respond to the gospel, that it is the Lord doing the work. That He has chosen them. I, I recognize this is difficult to fully grasp and understand. Is that is that really what you mean, Pastor Jason? Is 
Well, that's what the text says. This, this isn't what I say. It says that as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. That God chose them and on that basis they then chose to believe. He gives us the faith. We choose Him because He chose us first. This isn't because John Calvin or somebody like that came up with this. This is what the Bible teaches and it goes back to the Old Testament. And yet you might be thinking, okay, well, well I get that, but this, then, then does that mean that He also chose some not to be saved? That He chose some to, to be eternally punished in hell? And well, look at verse 46. I, I believe that, that Paul gives us the answer there. That no, He doesn't choose, they choose. It was necessary the Word of God be spoken to you first since you repudiate it. We, we don't use that word repudiate. What it means is to reject what has been offered. So what do they do? They reject the gospel. They reject Jesus Christ as He was presented, as He was offered to them. And as a result, they judge for themselves that they didn't want that. And so they walk away. And then look at verse 49. And see, look at what happens after salvation. As is so much the case, what, what do people want to do once they are saved? They want to tell everybody about Jesus. And that's exactly what happens. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. How encouraging. That is exactly what was going on. But as they go around and they tell more and more, the Jews get more and more upset. And finally they decide, okay, we need to stop this. And so they, they start a persecution against Paul and Barnabas, ultimately driving them out of their particular district. And then we see that Paul and Barnabas do something strange. Normally they would shake the dust off of their feet when they're in Gentile land, going into God's holy land. Instead, they're with God's holy people, and they shake the dust off their feet in order to go to the Gentile land. They they flipped everything upside down. What are they saying? They're saying, you guys have rejected that which you should not have rejected. That this offer of salvation, now, we're we're dismissing ourselves from you and we're going to go to the Gentiles. But we're going to see throughout the book of Acts that Paul keeps going to the Jews. He keeps preaching to the Jews every time he he shows up in a city. We're going to see that he goes to the synagogue first. And generally they reject him, so then he goes to the Gentiles. Why? Because that's God's heart. He, He wants the nation of Israel to be saved. And he has plans for them in the future. Look at verse 52 and let me wrap up here. With, with to me, a verse that is oh so encouraging. In spite of the persecution, in spite of all that is going on, look at how the disciples, and, and no doubt speaking of those in Galatia, those in Antioch that have just responded to the gospel, those that have just been saved, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. No. I forgot a word. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Why were they so excited? Because they had their their gas, their gaze focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. They were all about the gospel. And as a result, they were all about joy. They were continually filled. And as I thought about this passage this week, I kept asking myself, man, where is my joy? Where, where is the, the joy of my salvation? Is it lacking? 
Is it crowded out with all the worries of the day, with all of my schedule and all the appointments and all, and all this other stuff, even with the preparation of God's Word? At times it can be. Why? Because I get my eyes off of the Gospel and off of Jesus and onto those things that I shouldn't. I believe that the Lord gives us a glimpse into the early church here, into this first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas to reorient us to bring our focus, our gaze back on what we should have it focused on. To get us to stop and to come and to picture ourselves sitting at the synagogue this morning and listening to the words of Paul and coming back the next week and listening again. Not because we're not saved, but because we need to be reminded of God's wonderful grace being displayed to us in the gospel. And perhaps for some of you, it is because for the first time you do need To trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Perhaps that's the reason why you are here this morning. Because this message of the cross is new to you. Today is the day. Respond today. And turn to Him in faith. And don't we all desire joy? Isn't this not the characteristic that we want everybody to say, Oh, man, that man, that man's full of joy. That, That woman, man, no matter what happens, she is full of joy. So let's pray that that would be said of us. Let me close. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do, we stop and we thank you for the salvation that you have so freely given that cost you oh so much. Thank you for what what the Lord Jesus did for us. Thank you for the gospel. And we pray, Lord, that, that the gospel and our focus upon the gospel would so touch our hearts and fill our hearts that joy would be overflowing continually. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.com. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.